0: Hey, it's Susie from Flawed Theology. We had some issues with audio and connectivity while recording, so we apologize that my audio is not up to our usual standards, but we hope that you enjoy the Season 2 premiere.
1: Hi, welcome to the season two premiere of the Flaw of Theology podcast. I'm Phil,
0: and I'm Susie, and we're asking the question: If your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know?
1: Well, we're back after the holiday break. It seems like it's—I don't know how long we were off. I, it seems like it went by really fast. Now that it's over, it <laughs> did. So we're back. Season two. We're excited to be here. Uh, two new segments that we're going to uh, launch, and we'll have both of those today later in this show. Um, Two new segments. One of them is going to be called the good human of the week, um, where we will highlight the idea that morality doesn't come from God. And we are going to find real life stories of people who are doing good and being good in the community. So um, we'll have a, a powerful story about that coming up later in the show today. And then the second new feature is what we're calling flawed theology in real life, which I'm real excited about this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, this one's pretty fun.
1: It seems like there's always so many things that happen, especially you see on social media where you just see the idea of people's theology and its flaws on full display.
0: Yeah, it is it's good practice to uh hone our critical thinking skills.
1: Yeah, and we want to make sure that like when we're talking about these things you'll see later we talk about it, it's not to like bang up on Christians and like Not at all. talk down about them. It's really to point out the the way they're viewing the world is truly logically flawed. Like there's there's problems with that type of thinking. Yeah. Um what else do we have coming on? We we decided that we're going to try to have a more organized release schedule because if you remember last season
0: it was like like whenever the hell we felt like it we released an episode
1: hey we were gonna record on this day and we're gonna release whenever we feel like it so we're gonna try to be a little bit more consistent Mm -hmm. and our plan is to release an episode every other week on sundays that's our plan because we want to keep you out of church no just kidding but we do but but we just also think it's funny to release it right at (laughs) church time on sundays so that way um you know, if your evangelical parents saying, hey, have you found a church yet? You can say, yeah, we found Flawed Theology uh, Baptist. It's a great. Flaw Theology Baptist. <laughs> it's, it's a great, great community. I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it. I'm really getting spiritually fed. So That'd
0: be a terrible <laughs> name for a church. Yeah.
1: I'd love to see what's on that church sign. Yes. That'd be great. And then I guess the other big thing is hopefully the next episode or the one after we are going to have Bart Campolo on as a guest and so for those of you who don't know bart campolo he's the son of tony campolo who is a massive evangelical preacher um actually a a pretty good guy in the realm of christianity like he's not he's not like a fire and brimstone judgmental uh christian he does a lot of good in the world but his son bart um deconverted and is now like a, a humanist chaplain
0: yeah at USC.
1: A lot of really cool work. So we're going to be talking to him. So
0: the the one thing I want to say about this, though. So we're going to have him on. uh, We'll be releasing his episode in like a month, right?
1: Yeah. Two weeks from this episode.
0: Okay. Two weeks from when this episode comes out. So that will give people time. If you do want to read his book, um, it's called Why I Left, Why I Stayed, or Why I Stayed, Why I Left. I can't remember which order it is. And it's short. So if you want to read it in like two weeks, you can. Or just watch the YouTube documentary. Uh, We'll link to it. Um, leaving my father's
1: faith, right? Yeah. Leaving my father's faith. They're two really good. um, It's really good. Give you like a really interesting overview. I mean, I I found it especially powerful reading his book because my dad is a pastor too. And so a lot of what he went through, you know, was on a bigger scale than what I experienced, but it really resonated with me. So
0: a more public scale for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely more public scale. So, so what's been going on with you? What did you do over your break over the break time? Do you have any like big Happenings, anything that stood out to you as far as, uh, (laughs) you know, in the realm of deconversion, what was uh, the something that happened?
0: (laughs) So, here's what happened. So, my sister had a baby, her first baby, a year ago. And ever since uh, she told me that she was pregnant, I have kind of been very apprehensive about the dedication. She's Seventh day Adventist, which I've mentioned before. They don't do infant baptism, they just do a dedication. So, anyway, I've been dreading this because I knew I'd have to go back to church. And who wants to go back to church, right? Like I have nightmares about walking into churches and people staring at me because they know I'm a heathen. Right. (laughs) But I told myself, you know, just put all that aside. This is not about you. This is about being there for your nephew and your sister, who I love dearly. We have a great relationship. So anyway, we get to her church and 45 minutes in is when the dedication starts. I didn't make it 10 seconds before I stormed out. (laughs) So here's what happened. The pastor invited the whole family up to the front of the church. My sister told me beforehand, don't go up. Because they're going to ask you if you're going to, you know, support and affirm the child and their faith. And obviously we're not going to do that. So she said, stay back, right.
1: which right, I was right. happy
0: to do. Extremely happy to do.
1: Yeah. That's nice that she gave you that. Out. Yeah.
0: She did give me a heads up on that. Yep. So I'm sitting in the back and I think, oh, well, I'm not up there. I have a great vantage point back here. I'm going to start recording on my phone so that she has, you know, she'll have this forever. Yeah. The pastor starts talking and the first thing out of his mouth, is that we live in an era of unbelief where children are taught to have no values. Secularism Jesus. is a religion. Secularism is a religion.
1: The religion of the Bible is a religion. One of them's right, the other's not. And how do we know? The fruit is how we know.
0: 10 seconds, I'm at the door.
1: You left like a vapor trail.
0: I get out in the lobby of the church, and unbeknownst to me, there's a huge TV there that's broadcasting what's happening inside the church. And so I'm still being assaulted by like these. <laughs> words god so designs it that little will grow up to be a person of virtue so i had to go out I like leave the church go outside right but not before like turning around and i saw this the image of my whole family on that monitor and me not being there and like me having to leave it it was just a very surreal moment that kind yeah. of epitomized how i felt my whole life and not fitting into my family. Yeah. So after I left, I obviously didn't hear what else the pastor said until you and I had a conversation a few days ago when I said we should talk about this. I want to play the video clip, right? And you said, "Well, try to find it on YouTube so we can listen to the whole thing." So yeah. that's the first time I listened to the whole thing and the first time that I saw my parents' faces yeah as the pastor was saying this. And yeah. it was so hurtful to see my mom when the pastor says secular kids have no morals
1: yeah she's nodding her head Like she's
0: nodding like yes yes
1: did you feel like a little bit of a sense of relief that like you weren't up there knowing that you've escaped this and like your kids are not going to be subjected to that kind of mind manipulation yeah
0: yes that's that relief is definitely there but it's a double-edged thing yeah it comes at a cost and the yeah. cost is that my whole family thinks i'm evil i guess I not my mm-hmm. whole family like my to so move on to the next part i called my sister that night and i talked to her about it because we're pretty open. We have open mm. communication. So, I talked to her about how what the pastor said made me feel, and it opened up this we had we talked for 2 hours about religion and our, you know, perspectives on it. So, it th- there was some good that came out of it. We actually scheduled another night to talk about it. Mm. What I'm trying to say is that some good is coming out of it, but it also yeah. hurts to know that my mother thinks that i'm like irreparably harming my children my children can never be good right i'm terrible the pastor even said who wants to have a lost child
1: who wants our children to be lost oh yeah you sent me the link and i i don't think i got much fat further than you did like in real life because i was like i can't even
0: it's terrible
1: but i mean it's awesome that it led to something Hopefully productive. You know, yeah, the difference between like a situation like this for you and like if it was the other way around for a Christian is you're not trying to proselytize your sister to your way of thinking. You're just trying to encourage her to think like here. Just look at this from outside the box that you're in. Yeah, you know, and maybe that conversation sparks something in her that you know maybe will eventually lead to her deconstructing some things but that's not your like real goal
0: i'm trying not to make that my goal right yeah. i mean don't get me wrong i would be ecstatic if she decided to deconvert right however yeah i'm trying not to go about it that way just as i, I would be upset if she tried to make me convert right the other thing is that she told me that the pastor already knew that we were atheist <laughs> so that just makes it worse like it was did he say it on purpose Or right. uh, or did he just not care how that would make me feel
1: that's wild that's wild stuff. Yeah. So over my holiday, I, I saw my parents for the first time in like three years, thanks to COVID and their refusal to get vaccinated. So we met them up in upstate New York at Legoland because I was like, if you guys want to come and see the kids, we will be outside and you have to buy your own tickets. But
2: <laughs> Does your five-year-old so-
0: even remember them?
1: my three-year-old doesn't even oh, know them at all my, my five-year-old didn't remember them really she was very young when they um last saw her, saw them and my older kids kind of remembered them but i was like oh and my parents are going to be there and my 12 year old goes yay <laughs> <laughs> like with a question mark and i was like yeah that's kind of how i feel um but it went well it 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 went fine like it was not you know awkward it was nice to see them and there was no discussion about my atheism or any oh, of that bad. but like i'm in pennsylvania and there's churches just like everywhere we're like driving i drove past one and it was like this massive campus like just a huge sprawling campus and i'm thinking about how much money that building costs hmm. and like you know how yeah. much their pastor makes and you know i'm thinking like what a big waste churches in general are.
0: I wonder how full it actually is on a Sunday because uh when we went to my sister's church, it's this enormous building. Like I thought it was a mega church. Right. But we walked in and there's like 40 people there.
1: Yeah. I mean I think that's true. That's true in some churches. Well, it got me thinking because like our topic today is about the kind of de Christianization of America. And like all these churches that I saw, it just got me thinking about like how pervasive Christian culture is in our society and how it just seems normal, but there's a, a definite shifting in what's happening in America with christianity yeah it's funny coming out of evangelicalism myself like you live in this mindset that you know the united states is this christian nation and it was founded on biblical principles and that the reason our country is a superpower is because god has blessed it you know and then when you get out you realize that literally none of that is true none of
2: it's true this
1: is not a christian nation it was not founded on biblical principles And Christianity, they're the majority, or they, for the longest time, were the majority religion. But at the same time, Christians want to claim that they're the minority and they're being persecuted, which is it. We thought it'd be fun to start a segment and we're calling it Good Human of the Week. And the, the motivation behind this segment is to kind of push back on the idea that You can't be a good human without some kind of eternal, religious, spiritual motivation, because there's a lot of people that think there is no morality without God. And obviously, we would vehemently disagree Mm -hmm. with that. So we lucked out to have a a guest today, Carrie, um, who's going to share a little bit about some stuff that she went through and how people have rallied around her um, and her husband to support them. So welcome, Carrie, to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So we kind of chat through Facebook. i Carrie, and her husband are photographers. They're artists. Um, Carrie is a really accomplished artist. She's illustrated a bunch of children's books, which I I should have had them here because my kids have both of them so far, and they love them. The The fork who ate spaghetti is one of my uh, five year old's favorite books. She just like she loves it. So
2: Aww. Carrie
1: illustrated the, that book um, and another one about the fork who eats cake. So. So Carrie, tell us a little bit about like your background and kind of your story, you know, with your deconversion and kind of where you came from and where you are now.
2: Yes. So I grew up from the time that I was born. I was in uh, an evangelical community. We were Southern Baptist to start with and then. Um, ended up having a massive church split and went, it was still Southern Baptist, but they liked to call themselves like non-denominational Baptist. And then, uh, ended up in a, a Calvary chapel at one point, a, a, um, Calvinist youth group for a few years, um, went to school at a Southern Baptist university and then landed in a Bethel adjacent church in Missouri wow um which is where my husband and I got married and really like you know became our final boss self <laughs> right <laughs> um <laughs> so at this your whole life up till this point were you a genuine believer oh yeah like okay. very, like a very very like okay committed like mission trips in Africa and um you know we were we were of the we were of the the minority who truly believed that God had called us to tithe 20% before taxes. Right? So we were like in that kind of frame of like, God is always going to take care of us. There's <clears throat> never going to be any reason ever to ever have to worry about anything. And um, clearly that was just such a lie. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of issues Leading up to our departure, but we still were fully committed and still tithing 20%, even though um, we had at some point our business really tanked because of where we were living and the the way that we were getting business had changed. Um, we had moved to France. We were in France uh, for seven years. And the quality of our work was just not giving us the type of business that we needed to to have a successful business. Um, we were still working a lot, but just not, it was just not a a comfortable life in any, in any way. We were just having to like scrimp on everything. And, um, you know, I had, we had that, okay, are we doing the right things? Like, where are we, where are we supposed to be? But like, we knew like God had opened all the doors for us to be there. And we had felt like before we went, that we were supposed to be like missionaries without being like missionaries with support because we have right. the, the means to support ourselves with our businesses. So we knew that like, we weren't going to have to raise funds as missionaries and like, it just, you know, it all kind of felt started falling apart. And my husband was like nightly, like begging God for direction. We ended up at this kind of crossroads where we were like, we will do anything. We will go anywhere, a- anything at all. We'll leave. We'll pick up and move wherever. And like silence. Mm-hmm. We started understanding that the only times that we had really heard God was when we already had in our heads a potential direction.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: We already knew kind of the path ahead of us. So we knew, okay, like if this is the potential direction, that's, and, and that a door opens for us to move into that direction, then that's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. and that must be God. And when there was right. no path, and there was no direction, and there was no anything for us to like even consider, there was no answer. Mm. It was just radio silence. So we started like putting the puzzle pieces together and pulling on that thread, and then we started looking at everything, and it, it just—I mean—it collapsed within months. Mm, months wow mine had been a long thing so I'm also queer mine started collapsing once I identified my and accepted my queerness Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so that started for me in like 2010 but I wasn't letting myself accept that for myself I just knew that about myself but I wasn't like living like openly queer right like I started to like question a lot of things starting in 2010 i mean it was very long and arduous process for me but for my husband it was like those months that he can pinpoint pieces that like connected the dots for him along the way that got him to the point where he was willing to start pulling the threads but like his was a very short and mine was very long and they ended at the same (laughs) juncture that's very fortunate, actually, that you ended at the same time. We are incredibly yeah. lucky. We tell each other every day, at, at least every week, that our, our, six, our 15 and a half year marriage is held together by trauma bonding and laziness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the energy to explain our trauma to anyone else. So it's right. just, it's me and him for an Yeah, hour, yeah, right?
1: yeah. <laughs> we're in it
2: and i I mean we love each other don't get me wrong but like it's it's the idea of having to explain that to another human being is just like what kind of exhaustion that would take right yeah
1: (laughs) so you guys moved back not too long ago from france to to new york
2: august 20th of this year yes
1: wow you had a pretty rough year like you had a surgery you know you decided to an international move like a lot of stuff and then you moved back to the states found an awesome apartment it things was perfect were up.
2: amazing apartment moved into the new the new apartment we put down this enormous enormous broker's fee for it and this huge deposit and this all of these things it's new york city like you know yeah it's a huge investment on the front end less than four months later so december 3rd um we had a five alarm fire which is the biggest amount that you can have like Measurably, there were over 200 firefighters to put it out. It took over six hours, and there was asbestos in the building, so anything that wasn't affected by fire was drowned in asbestos water. Oh, geez. So anything that touched the asbestos that's porous was gone. So yeah. we lost all of the furniture, all of the rugs and clothes. Our our closets were just drenched. Yeah, I was able to get in a few weeks ago for like a tiny amount of time. And I got out my grandpa's vintage books that are the only thing I have from him. I got out my grandma's sewing kit, which was in the one of the only dry places in the apartment. It was under the bed. Um, and I got out our wedding rings. Yeah. yeah.
1: So then um, I guess you posted something about the fire and losing all your stuff and then, you know, trying to find a place to live. And um I think you posted a GoFundMe link.
2: So actually, that's one of the people,
1: um, or someone else started the GoFundMe yes, for you. So you did, one, you of my, one
2: of my one of my ex evangelical friends, lifelong friends, who went to the same Calvinist youth group in high school that I went to, she made the first. She made the GoFundMe, and she just messaged me and she said, "I did this." I'm not asking for permission, and (laughs) and I'm doing this. And then another one of uh, our classmates and uh, ex-evangelicals that's in our circle immediately called me. She's also in Manhattan, and she said, come to my apartment. So it's this, like, amazing connections of these ex-Calvinist friends that all went to high school with me and to this uh, same youth group with me, and we're all... Um, still you know connected and they were the first ones that said, like come, like we're we're gonna take care of
1: you. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Did you notice whether there was a difference between the
2: religious and the non-religious response to you to your trauma? Like I would say we had a lot of very surprising donations from religious people that I wouldn't have expected. This is a fun little fact. Almost all of the religious friends and relatives who donated, to us uh donated anonymously not realizing that i could see who had donated because <laughs> i'm the recipient right so all of these people who we have either cut them off or they have cut us off we had several of them donate anonymously oh interesting who thought we wouldn't know
1: why do you think that is like do they just not want to admit to the public that oh we're helping out these queer atheists now or they like... didn't want
2: carrie to know I think they didn't want us to know because these are broken relationships. Um, maybe they're not as broken as you think they are. I, oh, no, no, they're broken. Okay. <laughs> Very broken. I can see it in your face. No, no. Broken. no, no they're broken. No, 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 they're, they're <laughs> incredibly, incredibly harmful relationships that I, I, I don't accept that kind of harm, like tacitly, openly supporting gay conversion therapy type of relationship. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Geez. Yeah. So there was also like non-religious organizations who stepped in. So, I don't think Red Cross is a religious organization. I don't think so. As a Christian, I grew up hearing that Red Cross was not a, an organization we should donate to. Because right. it's not religious? Because it's not religious. Yeah. And it, so we we were raised with this mantra of, if you do anything that's good, and you don't do it in the name of Jesus, it's as filthy rags. It means nothing. Right. It's, there is nothing about it that provides any value. So if you go on a humanitarian trip, and you save people's lives as doctors without borders and you don't take the gospel to them you're you're actually like killing people because then oh. they're reliant you know this is like the the idea that we were raised with and so right. having the red cross come in and be the first stepping point and seeing how they function in the first 48 hours of tragedy immediately i was just like how did i never know that this organization was so incredible how like mm-hmm. this is an organization that i want to donate to now
0: going back to what you were saying about if you don't do good in the name of Jesus then it's like filthy rags. Yes. Did Jesus ever say that? So, I mean, I'm don't know my Bible that well, but I'm thinking back and I'm pretty sure Jesus just said, take care of the poor. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't have any strings attached. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's totally like a human adaptation where, cause yeah. they would, they would say like, well, it doesn't matter if you go and build a school in Rwanda because you're, you're leaving their soul to burn in hell. That's so it. who cares if they, Who cares if they have education and running water and medicine? It doesn't matter because once they die, they're just going to go burn in hell. So if you're Uh, not bringing the gospel to them, you're only meeting one need as opposed to all their eternal needs. Their eternal needs
2: are worth so much more.
1: Right. They're worth way more than any school or anything that you could build for them or all that kind of stuff. So imagine if you had gone through this tragedy as a Christian Can you still remember that mindset of how it felt to be supported? Like right now, you're super grateful to all these people and organizations that did this like all out of the goodness of their heart and out of their motivation of this is what we should do to help people where Christians might do the exact same action, but all their motivation is from the place of. I'm doing this to earn God's favor because God wants me to do it. How does that feel different to you?
2: I mean, I, I will say, I will say we still have some Christian friends who were like very proactive, like extremely proactive and very caring. So I don't want to discount all Christians on mm-hmm. this like uh, right for sure, because we had like, including my parents, which are like very still deeply into the evangelical church and have done, I mean, above and beyond for us. Not because of religion, but because of the way it's because of the way they love us. So, I mean, I, I want to give credit to, to that. But it, it is really, I think the expectation as a Christian would be that like my church members would just, I would just know that they would take care of me because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. It would be shared within that church family. They would be sharing the information to like f- help fund us. Whereas, like, a few people shared our GoFundMe, but, like, not in any kind of way that we would have seen if we were in a church community. You know what I'm right. saying? You have yeah. to be in the in-group. It's the in-group, yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest points that I was, like, this was why I was so conflicted about talking about this is because we have so much support because we're, we're well-connected. And we're, we're well-connected to a lot of very wealthy people who have been very generous with us. And our neighbors are very well connected to not very wealthy people. Right. Though their circle have been just as generous, it is not reflected because they're not as wealthy. Yeah. So this is just, it's really hard for me to like, look at this and feel like it's a feel good story because it's, we're seeing with our other very well connected tenants that were in the building, how well we're being taken care of whilst our fellow tenants are suffering. So th- yeah. this
0: is the perspective when you're in the church and you think you're so blessed because you're only seeing your own situation and you're ignorant of what you're saying, all your neighbors who yeah. don't have the same situation, they don't have the same resources, they don't have the yeah. same opportunities, but you are saying it in your own little bubble and you continue to think that you're blessed. But you yeah. have a different outlook. You're seeing from a higher perspective, like you're more zoomed out. Very much. And you can see that you're not the only one in your building. Mm-hmm. And While, if you were a Christian, it might be easy for you to say, oh, God showed me so much support and everything. But then you look at your neighbors and where's God's support for them? Yeah, fully.
1: If 90% of your building are God's chosen, blessed children, (laughs) why are you getting massive financial support when you have turned your back on God?
0: And why did he burn the building down anyway? That's the thing. It's because an atheist (laughs) lived there.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm sorry, guys. It's it's, me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I can it's funny cuz I can I can hear like Christians would say, "Oh, well that this is all God reaching out to you to show you that even though you've turned your back on him, he still cares about you and don't you want to come back to him because he sent you a check from this donor and that donor." Cuz he
2: burned your building down. Yeah, thank you for burning my building down <laughs> so that I could see your goodness.
1: Right. Exactly. Like it's so you see now on the other side, like that sounds so dumb, but like, I guarantee that 80% of people would say this was all part of God's plan for, you know, us to lose our thing because God has something so much better for us, but all of them don't have anything better and you somehow do.
2: Yeah, we're housed, we're housed, and we have like, we're in a place that has a kitchen. Like, our other tenants are living in shelters right now, right? With shared bathrooms and no kitchens. Yeah. The fact that we have friends who have given us their own bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The mental gymnastics that Christians go through to tell themselves that something is going to work together for good, right? Or (laughs) tell themselves that there's, you know, some magical, mythical grand reason behind things and that God, you know, mysterious ways (laughs) is so insidious. That's a good word. It is so insidious. Yeah. And it is so mind numbingly infuriating because they're so grateful for their lives. They're so grateful that they lived and that nobody lost their lives in the fire. And they're praising God for that. My father, my father, If he knew what was going to happen in that building, Mm -hmm. he would have done everything in his power to stop it. Yes. Everything. Because he's a good father. And he loves you. And he loves me and he wants what's best for me. There should never be a further discussion than that.
1: Yes. Right. What you're saying just shows the whole point of this segment is like there are people in the world that do good and are good Because they're human. Yeah. And they care about their fellow human. Yeah. So, I mean, we really appreciate you like coming on and sharing this, uh, just demonstrating in real life, good human. (laughs) There's so many good people in the world. And it's it's easy to forget that there are good people in the world because there's so much shit in the world, too. But there's so many people that are doing good just for the sake of being good. They're not doing it for any eternal reward. They're not doing it for, they're not even doing it for the pat on the back. You know, they're doing it because they care about you and Caleb, and they just want you to thrive and get back to the life that you want to have.
0: And I appreciate how you pointed out that there are Christians who supported you in ways other than thoughts and prayers. So often I get so annoyed by the thoughts and prayers Mm -hmm. thing. And I think it's easy to forget that You know, they do actually help people as well. But I think that what this boils down to is that there are people who do things for non-religious reasons
2: and they really stepped up and helped you in your time of need. Massively. Like like I could list off like hundreds of names. These aren't Christians doing this for Christian reasons. These are just people Mm -hmm. who are seeing somebody that they care about suffering Mm -hmm. and wanting to take care of that person and ease some of that suffering. It's not about doing it to get brownie points or to you know make sure that you're you know showing god that you're willing to give you know like you're not it's not about that selflessness it's not about like oh yes you know i may not have much but i'm willing to give it all (laughs) that like humble brag yeah well i mean i I was talking about the 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 parable of the woman with the penny and the you know Mm -hmm. she gave it all
1: well, and then they're meeting—they're meeting your tangible needs. They're not just saying, "I'll pray for you and God cares about you and God has a plan." They're saying, "Here's a gift card, here's money, here's yeah. food, here's a—you know—here's things that you're going to need yes. in your new place." Like,
2: yeah, they came around us in a massive way, a massive way. Yeah. It is incredibly important to find the people who are suffering, find the people who have the need, and be willing to like give to them. Uh, it's it's definitely a, a life lesson in making sure that you're taking care of your neighbors and taking care of the people that you may or may not know who are suffering.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Those are powerful
1: words. If you are OK with it and if you want to, we would be willing to put your the GoFundMe links in the show notes when we post it. It's completely up to you. I know you are all you are unsure about like you don't want it to come across as like I'm going on this podcast just so I can.
2: It, it's really important to me to share the tenant for our building, um, GoFundMe. Most of our fellow tenants didn't even have renters insurance. So you have a GoFundMe for the like yes. a a pool thing yes. for the tenants. That's okay. It, that's cool. Yeah. And the tenants association is in charge of the disbursement of the money. And they are okay. incredibly very, very good human beings who are like in charge of it. Who it's not like it's not just going to some random place. Um so if I could share that GoFundMe because yeah. absolutely that's the one that I'm I'm very much terrified for, for our neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: If you could send that to me, we'll put that in the, the notes and, and thanks for being on the, the inaugural run of the, the good human of the weeks. Cause the, you got, you're surrounded by a bunch of good humans there and you and Caleb are awesome human beings too. So
2: I appreciate <laughs> it awesome. so much. Thank you for reaching out and, and asking me. And, um, I appreciate you giving me this, time to just talk i hope that i didn't go on and on too long
1: no it's it's so fine like (laughs) we like to talk to people so and keep us posted on on how things are going
2: i definitely will
1: well thanks again for for coming on it was a pleasure episode the one with all the nuns <laughs> the and one with all the i love this title
0: it's a, it's a, cl- it's double a clever entendre. pun it is yeah, yeah. Because we're going to talk about religious nuns n-o-n-e-s yes. and we're also going to talk about religious nuns and u-n-s and
1: u-n-s see it's a spelling game too because we're spelling it spelling in grammar nerds so There's a lot of like information and stuff. And yeah, I I don't think we're gonna get like too super heavy on it, but both of us are like kind of data nerds. You're probably more of a data nerd than I am because that's your actual like career.
0: I'm a data person, not a data person. A A data data person. person. I like to
1: say data. I don't know why. I just always have. But anyway, kick us off here of what we're gonna talk about.
0: Since about nineteen ninety, vast numbers of Americans Uh, have left Christianity and have become non-religious. Non-religious includes atheist, agnostic, and none. So not only that, but the trend seems to be accelerating, so it's increasing. We're going to talk about what factors are impacting the decline of Christianity and also look at what could be the future of the religious landscape in America. So we're going to look at the Pew Research report called Modeling the Future of Religion in America.
1: So Pew Research is a, it's kind of like the quintessential nonpartisan research organization in the country. They have, if you go on the article, which we'll link to in there, there's actually a whole, it's a really long page about their methodology and how they arrive at their data and their conclusions. So they are not a think tank in the sense that their funding and stuff doesn't come from like organizations trying to push an agenda. It's mm-hmm. actually more of a fact tank where their funding and stuff comes from organizations that are specifically looking for data that is un unbiased you know they're actually looking to get to the the factual truth about a given topic and they don't they do a lot more than just religion they do politics but yeah, they, they do,
0: lots of social positions but they don't take policy positions is that that's the important right. thing is that they don't have a, an agenda
1: right and we'll post the links to their methodology for this specific article and then a little bit about mm-hmm. Pew research in the show notes as well so
0: so from the 1970s to the ni- 1990s about 90 percent of americans identified as christian And that stayed very steady during that period. Um, Then suddenly, in the early to mid 90s, that number drops a tiny bit for the first time, uh, with a tiny, tiny rise in the number of religious nuns, (laughs) N-O-N-E-S. So that trend only continues and speeds up so that in 2020, the number of Americans who identify as Christian is only at 64%. So we've gone from 90% down to 64% in 30 years, I guess about a, a percent a year.
1: Yeah, that's a big drop.
0: It is, yeah. And in that same time, the number of religiously unaffiliated rose from 5% to 29%. Wow.
1: That's
0: a huge shift.
1: And and it's interesting because they're jumping completely off the religious bandwagon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the other religions category only rose a few percent. So this report called Modeling the Future of Religion in America, it's the first time they've actually tried to project religious composition in the future. So they go up to the year 2070. And the main variable, so the thing that they change in each of these scenarios, is religious switching. What is religious switching, Phil?
1: Wouldn't we all like to know? Well, basically, religious switching is a conversion from the religion in which a person is raised, and their religious identity in adulthood. So, like, if you were raised in evangelical Christianity and then you switch to another religion or a nun in adulthood, so that's kind of what switching is,
0: mm-hmm. or vice versa, right? So yeah,
1: or vice versa, going
0: from a religious not On
1: affiliation, right,
0: going to a religion, yeah,
1: yeah. The Pew Research Center acknowledges that it's not, that doesn't happen in a single moment, that it's a gradual process. And that's what you and I have seen from countless people that we've talked to about their deconstruction and deconversion story. It wasn't just one thing, it was a death of a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm.
0: Very gradual. So we know what the current rate is of religious switching for people under age 30, switching from Christianity to a non religion is 31%. So that means that 31%. Of Christians switch to non religion before age 30. Hmm. So, switching from a non religion to Christianity is 21% before age 30. So, that's 10 percentage points different. But yeah. remember, these population sizes are vastly different. So, Christianity, still the majority, is a much larger population. So, 31% of Christians becoming non Christian is a much larger number than 21% of nuns becoming Christian. So that, right, right. that kind of drives this whole trend.
1: And that's also interesting considering like how hard churches work at targeting children and youth and they're still behind. Yeah. And you can read religious, you know, Christian publications that will say you've got to get your kids in church, you know, because by the time they get to 18 or 20, it's going to be really hard to change their mind because they can think for themselves. <laughs> you yeah,
0: know? yeah. Right.
1: They know it too. And even the numbers, even it. with all that pushing, it's not. Come into fruition for them, so that's that's interesting, right? So, when does religious switching tend to happen?
0: So, it happens mostly before age thirty. Once you're thirty, you've pretty much decided what you're going to be. However, we know that's not always true, right? You and I, <laughs> yeah, are over age thirty, yes. Even though I honestly didn't really believe it before age thirty, I just wasn't willing to admit it to myself. I still count mm-hmm. as after age thirty. So, Pew Research Center they have a theory that once Christianity. Gets to a point where it's not as mainstream as it once was. So, where you can't take it for granted that somebody's a Christian mm-hmm. and it's more socially acceptable to not be a Christian, then those people over 30 who are more casually Christian or loosely Christian, they feel more free to shed that label or that belief. Yeah. And they feel like it's less socially taboo to be a non Christian. So, they're going to do it. But then, once you reach, once society in the, a country reaches that point, there's going to be not much more religious switching after age 30. Right. So I think they said like the kids born in the 80s, they're the last group who are going to have religious switching over 30.
1: Hmm.
0: However, I, I think statistically that might be true, but like you can figure out at any time that God's not real. Right. So I guess it, it really depends on what your the reasons why you're becoming a non-Christian. If it's for facts and like intellectual issues, then maybe any age. But if it's yeah. for more social issues, then it might be the, the 30 cutoff but that's just me theorizing.
1: Well, and I think that's also the difference between like when you're talking about a group of people on a, you know, a social network or something as opposed to something that's statistically significant. Exactly. They're using data criteria and research methods to to say, okay, after this certain point you're not going to see religious switching. On the scale, that would be statistically significant. So Mm -hmm. there's always going to be people switching, you know, but maybe not in a way that would be super impactful to the overall level of of a given religion in the United States. So, and I, I thought this was pretty interesting that they noticed that religious switching being non-religious is what they called stickier than being a Christian. So, like stickiness is like how likely you are to stay the way that you were raised. the The data showed that if you were raised non-religious, you're way more likely to stay non-religious. But if you're raised Christian, you're more likely to move to non-religion, and it's less sticky. And that's that's really interesting too. They even had, of course, numbers to back it up for males who were raised Christian. Only 61% were still Christian, but of males who were raised unaffiliated, 74% were still unaffiliated. I gotta think that a lot of this has to do with like the access to information too nowadays. Like you there's you just can't snow people with religion the way you could before, <laughs> thanks to the internet. Right, right. And the abundance of information out there, it's very hard to dupe people that are actually interacting in the world. Now the groups that keep their people isolated, they're gonna be harder to get switched. That's why those stories about yeah. you know Mormons escaping or Scientologists escaping is so intriguing because you're like, man, they isolated the crap out of those people and they still got out. Like that's pretty pretty interesting.
0: Ugh. I lost my thought because you blabbered too long.
1: Damn it! <sighs> Blabbering it strikes oh, again.
0: They- okay, so the reason that I think that it's stickier is because christianity sounds kind of crazy (laughs) i mean you have to be raised in it to think it doesn't sound batshit crazy yeah and even if you are raised in it you still might think it sounds batshit crazy but the whole concept of the religion and like the story of it is normalized for you if you were raised in it right i mean that would be like us converting to scientology or some shit like that right like that's not gonna happen
1: yeah it's not gonna happen because you like it just sounds crazy but and i think you you do see people switching to christianity like later in life but it's almost always because they went through some kind of tragedy. Yes. They're like, I need something. I need hope. I mm-hmm. need to know there's more to this life than the shit that I've been living. And so then they go down the Christian rabbit hole in it. And I mean, they're looking for confirmation that there's more. And so Christianity fits the need. So yeah. that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. So we talked about religious switching. That's the main factor that's driving this trend. But there are a few other minor factors that, that play a part. Uh, we'll just touch on them real quick. So they are fertility rates, Christians or non-Christians? Who has more babies? (laughs) Phil, what do you think?
1: The Christians are having babies left and right because they're trying to build their, their army and fill their quivers.
0: So they have a higher fertility rate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is 1.9 children per woman for Christians and 1.6 for non-religious. So Christians are having more babies, but is it making a difference? Not Mm. really. Um, okay. So another thing is intergenerational transmission. This was really interesting to me. Whether parents pass their religion on to their children and they mm-hmm. measure it by the mother. They don't really count what the father does. Oh, interesting. Because single parent households tend to have mothers more and okay. there was one other reason statistically why they chose mothers. I can't remember what it is. Okay. All previous studies and reports have assumed that there's a 100% intergenerational transmission rate. But they're finding that that's not always true. So when parents have different religions or when parents are only loosely affiliated with a religion, they might not pass their religion on to their child.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. And I think
0: more and more people are realizing, oh, don't let's not indoctrinate our kids, even if I'm religious, right. let's not indoctrinate our kids. Right. So they have the freedom to make an informed decision later on.
1: Hmm, yeah. And
0: so they're taking that into account now um, on these studies.
1: That sounds like kind of accurate because like, like my wife was raised Presbyterian, but not like heavy duty Presbyterian. Like her parents went to church, she went to youth group, but when she became a mother, she didn't automatically go to the Presbyterian church or even go to church really at all because she was like, I want my kids to decide for themselves what they believe. And that's, that's
0: amazing. Did she get them baptized?
1: Mm, no, they're oh, not baptized. Nice. We haven't. There was no talk of religion really. And actually, I was the one that brought religion into our relationship because when we first met, I was still involved in you know a progressive christian church and even still i was like i don't want to indoctrinate them i just want to expose them to what's out there yeah so the pew research center modeled four different scenarios to project what the religious landscape could look like by 2070 and Really, no matter which one of these scenarios you pick, it doesn't really look great yeah. for, you know, the future of Christianity, which it's kind of like, I wonder what Christians would think about this study if they read it. Like they were like, oh, no, like, what are they going to do? Are we are going to have to go out and evangelize more? Or are they going to be just like, oh, this is bullshit? Like, oh, numbers- well,
0: I read you're making me remember now. I read a Lutheran, a Missouri Synod Lutheran r- report, and it was talking about this very thing. Like, how do we increase our numbers? How do we reverse the trend, the downward trend? Mm-hmm. a lot of it was keeping the kids in the church and indoctrinating them and then also <laughs> encouraging our young women members to have more babies
1: right yeah like, so fertility fertility rates and then intergenerational transfer yes yeah. <laughs> that was their strategy
0: exactly
1: <laughs> Phil. <Yeah>. yes yes <laughs> that's it so all right so why don't you talk about the first uh model
0: if you're following along at home and you want to see these graphs just click the link and it's right in there in the report So model one is steady religious switching. In this scenario, movement into and out of Christianity remains stable at at recently observed rates. So it's not going to speed up. It's not going to slow down. Okay. But in this scenario, by 2070, Christianity is 46% of the population. So that's less than half. Yeah. The nuns are 41%. And so here, the gap has closed significantly from what it was in 1990, which was 90% and 5%. Yeah. What is it now again? 65 and I think it's 64.
1: Yeah, 64 and 29 or something like that. Okay, 64
0: and 29. We're narrowing that gap a little, but the lines still have not crossed. Right. And so what's model number two?
1: Yeah, model two, they call rising disaffiliation with limits. In this scenario, they're projecting that Christianity, switching out of Christianity is going to increase. It's going to rise, which sounds pretty reasonable if the trends continue because basically over the last 30 years, it has been rising. Yeah. Um, But in this scenario, they basically capped the switch rate at 50% for men and 55% for women. So um, they base this based on Christian retention rates in other countries, which I think they use Great Britain as the model for that, where their lowest retention rate was 49%. So they're assuming that the US rate isn't going to go lower than that. So in this scenario, if they cap it, Christianity drops to 39% and then the nuns rise to 48%. So this is the first scenario where the lines of the grass actually cross and the nuns are in the majority and the Christians are in the minority.
0: Mm That would be wild.
1: It just like, it really would be wild. Like if you think about how, like, that's why the whole thing, like when I was on vacation, seeing all those churches, like imagine how interesting it would be to like go into a given town and there wasn't a church on every corner. Or you could say, oh, that used to be a church and now it's a skate park. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's the third one?
0: All right. So model three is rising disaffiliation without limits. So now we're taking away that 50 and 55% cap because in this model, there is no limit to the switch rate. So each generation, more and more people switch out of Christianity into non-religion. So in this scenario, we end up with 52% religious nuns and 35% Christians. So not only are there more non-religious people than Christians, but they make up an absolute majority, greater than 50%.
1: Like an actual majority statistically, as opposed to just more. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: I I mean, it's not... Out of the realm of possibility, either it's, it's not.
0: We'll talk at the end about which one's most
1: most likely. likely. yeah. Yeah.
0: What's model four then?
1: The last model is basically no no switching. So if no more switching happened at all, like after today, then Christianity still shrinks and the nuns still grow, but not to the same extent that we would see in the in the previous. Christians would be 54%, and then nuns would be 34%. So why are
0: the numbers moving at all, yeah. Phil?
1: Why would they move, yeah, if nobody's switching? Well, because it's a gradual shift that would happen because of age demographics. Christians are older and not childbearing, while the majority of unaffiliated is a childbearing. So just the population changes would actually make the numbers change just even even if everybody stayed the same, which is, that's pretty interesting too. So And
0: when you walk into any church, except maybe mega churches, they're all like, I would say 80% of members are over the age of 50, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean,
0: yeah, we see this.
1: Yeah, if you look at the churches that are struggling and dying, it's because they have no young people. Yeah. And then the churches that are thriving and growing is because they are cool and edgy and have really good bands and light shows mm-hmm. and
0: And I also want to make a disclaimer that if you're doing the math in your head and you're noticing that these two numbers I'm not adding up to a hundred, it's because there are there's that third category called other religions. And mm-hmm. that in all these scenarios has grown from like six percent today to like 12 or 13% by 2070. So that's that's where the other chunk is.
1: Okay. Yeah. So there's other religions people might be switching to.
0: Yeah. Or migrations.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about which one is most realistic. You want to do a, a quick little recap?
0: Yeah. Let's do an order from least re- realistic to most. Sure. I say least is no more religious switching the uh, model number four that we just talked about. There is absolutely no way in hell nobody's ever going to switch in or out of a religion. Right. <laughs> after today. Yeah. But it is helpful to see what kind of effect religious switching does have on these numbers just by taking it out of the equation entirely.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you go to model three, that's the rising disaffiliation without limits. It could happen as more people become non Christian. The stickiness of non religion could only increase, making the scenario more plausible. But there's always going to be a solid core of fundamentalist parents who raise children who are unlikely to switch. So that one might not be the most realistic.
0: Yeah, it could happen,
1: but it
0: could be a positive feedback loop. Like the more people who disaffiliate, it encourages other people to disaffiliate. Right, could be, I don't know. Yeah. So next model one, steady switching. This scenario is pretty conservative because it doesn't accelerate the switching. It just leaves it at a constant rate so it ignores the fact that switching actually is happening at a faster rate as time goes on i don't think it's as likely as model number two which is rising disaffiliation with limits so this one is the most likely scenario i think it is and also peer research says it is religious switching continues to increase but does not exceed the switching rate that has been observed in other countries, uh, which Great Britain. However, recent data in Australia shows that possibly it continues past. So, Pew Research is waiting to see how that pans out, and they might update this. Yeah. So that would leave the numbers at 39 percent Christian and 48 percent religious nuns in 2070.
1: It's pretty crazy. That's yeah. only like you know if you think about it, that's what 47 years from now.
0: Yeah, we might not see that.
1: Yeah, we might be kind of crusty and decrepit crusty. by then, but I—I <laughs> I know I probably will be, or I'm going to be worm food. But
0: I might be part of a coral reef, right? Or planted under a tree.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Hey, that's what my wife wants to do. Cool. She she wants to be planted under a tree too. Yeah. So what really? What do you think causes this decrease of religiosity? I mean, we touched on this too, like the advent of the internet and access to information. Yeah, that was right when the night, right in the 90s. Right like, when
0: the 90s happened. Right. Uh, But the other side of that coin is that it's easier for misinformation to spread. And so if you want to keep believing in Christianity, there's plenty of misinformation for you to find. Yeah. I think another factor is that there is an increased acceptance of homosexuality since the 90s. Really, that started in the 90s. And so I think that's turning a lot of especially young people away from those like literalist, fundamentalist positions on the Bible. And homosexuality in in some cases turning them away from christianity altogether
1: if i think about my childhood i didn't know a single gay person so it was pretty easy for me to view someone who was gay as the other as a sinner
0: Mm, yeah you hadn't met one
1: Uh, yeah i'd never literally never Met a gay person, you know, and then later on in my my adult life, you know, I met gay people, and they were all fantastic people. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, you've heard countless of these stories where people say, "Well, I had a, a great friend, and he or she was gay, and I couldn't wrap my head around how God wouldn't love this person," or you know, and that sent them down the slope of saying, "Well, there's no way I can believe in a God that would chuck this person into hell because they're a great person." So,
0: yeah. I also think that the increased amount of accessible biblical scholarship like Bart Ehrman.
1: Yeah, there's so much.
0: Yeah, I think before it was mainly biblical scholarship was available to other scholars theologians and not necessarily the general public. But now we have Mm -hmm. YouTubers and podcasts and um, there's just some more of an openness about biblical scholarship that I think helps people to understand the context of the Bible and the historical settings of the bible and
1: right the only way you would access theology kind of in the old days was if you were in seminary or you know, like if you went to a christian college and had to yeah. take a theology class everything else you just kind of accepted from your parents or from your pastor but now there's so much access to this right knowledge is power they they kept saying that knowledge you know, is but, power <laughs> you know so
0: and then another thing that i just thought of is the new atheist movement which, when did that start? The 2000s?
1: Yeah, kind of like... like
0: Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sam Harris, uh, Chris yeah. Christopher Hitchens, and Richard Dawkins.
1: Yeah, and they made atheism, I wouldn't say popular, but they kind of showed the intelligence level of, athe- of atheists. Was it just like, oh, this is like some smart, grumpy people. These people knew how to talk to people, like especially Sam Harris... And Neil deGrasse Tyson, like I could listen to them talk, and I'm like amazed by their level of intelligence. Some people don't like Hitchens and Dawkins because they're like what I would have thought an atheist was as a mm-hmm, Christian, like yeah. oh, just like gr- just like a grumpy old man who hates everyone. But if you really get if you get past that demeanor, what they're saying is just rooted in logic and reason. But yeah, the new atheist movement it's made Christianity look less reasonable
0: yeah and it really kind of forced atheism like out into the open whereas before it was yeah maybe just like undertones of society but now it's like don't be ashamed of it
1: <laughs> right you wouldn't admit embrace that you're it you're an atheist yeah yeah so the other nuns we wanted to talk about were uh, were Catholic nuns. And this is more just kind of an interesting, like, I don't know, factoid. Like yeah. there's 42,000 nuns in America. We're talking about Catholic nuns here, Currently, which yeah. is a 70, 76% drop over the last 50 years. And the average nun age right now is 80 years old <laughs> and less than 1% of nuns are under 40. That's
0: the thing. like less than one percent
1: yeah that's crazy they're
0: dying the nunnery is dying is that a word the nunnery
1: nunnery, a nunnery is an actual building but okay but yes the idea of people going into the sisterhood is definitely not something that is happening Mm
0: mm-hmm and I That's think this crazy. is just an indicator of religion in general. Yeah. The number of Catholic nuns are increasing, um, maybe worldwide or outside of America, hmm. um, because just in general, like Christianity is increasing in other countries because of missionary type activities. Yeah. But I think that this is just an indicator of the decline of Christianity in, in America. And I mean, I just find the humor in this. Don't you?
1: Yeah. Oh, I think it's hilarious.
0: 1% of nuns are under 40. <laughs> <laughs> That's so.
1: It's hilarious. <laughs> So what does all this mean? Like for those of us who deconstructed or deconverted or or somewhere in between, like the thing that really stands out to me, like with all this data, data, is that <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were raised in Christianity and now you're out, you're not alone. Because when you're in that bubble, you think that's all there is. If you escape that, you're like, oh man, I'm the only one that has done this. Mm-hmm. Where am I going to find support or how am I going to do this? And then you find out there's hundreds of people on a Facebook group that all went through something similar to you. What are, what do you think? Like what jumps out to you? Well, I
0: think this is a great way to end child indoctrination because for every person who leaves, so every person who switches is not going to be indoctrinating their children. And then those children aren't going to be indoctrinating their children. And that's how we get rid of it. Yeah. I'm not saying it will ever be gone entirely. I mean, even the article said that there is like a core of hardcore Christians who are so fundamentalist and so literalist, like you said, they keep their kids in the bubble that there's not much religious switching happening there. It does happen because we know a lot of people who did, but there's always going to be like a solid core of self-sustaining Christians who reproduce and then make more Christians. Right. (laughs) But... The large majority of Christians, I think, are going to fall out and we're going to not indoctrinate our children anymore, Yeah, which is a win.
1: Yeah. And I think we mentioned this earlier too, there's definitely a lessening of stigmatization about like not being a Christian or not being religious, you know, like you just said, there's always Mm going to be pockets and places where it's going to be abnormal for you not to go to church, you know, like places in the South or red States or red counties. But overall it's like more accepted now that if you don't believe in Jesus or you don't go to church, it doesn't make you like a bad person. And now I think it's even switched a little bit that being a Christian now has a stigma.
0: A little bit. Yeah.
1: In certain circles, you know, basically, Oh, you're a Christian. Now that basically equates with being anti-science, anti-equality, racist, sexist, Trumper, a COVID denier, a QAnon, you know? And that was part of my thing. I was like, I when I left Christianity, I was like, I can't be associated with people who would storm the nation's capital yeah. with crosses. You know, I can't be associated with that. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I'm also interested in seeing what the future is the next five to 10 years of Christianity because even though I'm still relatively new to the deconstruction movement, because I was already out before I knew even what it was. Right. I think that the ex-evangelical movement, the deconstruction movement has been going for like five years now, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that we are going to be seeing the snowballing effects of that. I think that the yeah. more people who leave, the more people who are going to go with them. Yeah. And right now we only see stories. We see in our Facebook groups, we see anecdotes. Right. It's all anecdotal evidence, but I really am looking forward to seeing what the data is gonna show in the next five to 10 years.
1: The second new segment is called Flawed Theology in Real Life. And the idea behind this segment is that there's so much that you see on social media where people are ascribing to flawed logic and fallacious thinking. We would love for people to send in their uh, FTIRL stories. Can we start a hashtag? You think we could be popular enough to get flawed theology in real life just trending on twitter we can manifest on, it let's
0: manifest not,
1: it not on twitter though because elon musk sucks now so oh, yeah um but anyway so today's flawed theology uh in real life story is a is a one that i've been following for the past few weeks since before christmas is a friend of mine who he and his wife are pastors of a church that i went to right after college like the first church i went to after college I was on the worship team there. I actually met my first wife there. The whole like, So that was my whole first adult Christian experience um, that took over this dying Wesleyan church and turned it into a, like, a massive, trendy church for pretty people. And these two people are very pretty themselves, and they have five very pretty adult children. And one of them recently had a child who was born with a very rare heart defect. Immediately had to get medevaced to UVA, which is a, a prestigious research hospital And they saved this kid's life. They saved this baby's life, Um, and she had a very difficult journey. And I just was following these posts. I'm not going to read all the posts, you know, but the posts were just filled with prayers for this and miracles for that. And God sent us these doctors. And the mom and dad want to pray for this baby in the room next to them because you know that God will send them a miracle and. Their community rallied around them of course with this big outpouring of prayers like all the comments were just like prayers 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 and like the prayer emoji which is really the high five emoji that everyone thinks is praying and, <laughs> but there's all these posts about oh it's a miracle I, like she didn't have any seizures the pictures of this poor baby she's you know this big she's got an incision down her chest you know she's on a, a ventilator She's got fluids. She's got all the stuff that just is just heartbreaking. And I I can't imagine what it was like for that family to watch that happen, especially like right around the holidays and all that time where you're supposed to just be happy. And the baby survived. The baby actually came home a few days ago. And you know, she's not out of the woods, but they they kept citing God this and God that. And the, the doctors and nurses said they referred to this child's outcome as Remarkable. That's what the doctor said, which of course it is. Like anytime you see something like that happen, it's remarkable. And then, of course, this person posted, Well, we call it a miracle. Praise Jesus. So, why is this flawed theology? Like, what's wrong with this?
0: Where do we start?
1: Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> so the first thing that I think of is when they give credit to God for saving the baby instead of the doctors or the nurses, or saying that God sent the doctors and the nurses, that does not make logical sense because. Think about the time before modern medicine was a thing. All right. So there were thousands of years of human history where this baby would have just died. Right. Okay. Millions of people died because of lack of adequate medical care because humans just hadn't developed it yet. Where was God then? Right. How come God can't send doctors and nurses unless doctors and nurses have already been invented by people? Right. That should be your first clue that God's got nothing to do with this.
1: Right. And why would a loving God allow a newborn baby to be born to one of his faithful servants with a near fatal heart problem? How is that loving? It's like...
0: This is kind of how I think of that, that God's trying to teach you a lesson or teach you the value of suffering or to teach you that you need him or to teach you how great he is. Okay. So those are all kind of the things that Christians could say. Right. Well, let's imagine a human being so I have a puppy and I want this puppy to appreciate me. So I hold this puppy on top of a campfire until it gets third degree burns. And then at the last second before this puppy dies, I take the puppy out of the fire and I say to this puppy, how great am I that I took you out of this fire? Right. Please thank me. Yeah. And then I take the puppy to the vet and I wrap it up in bandages and whatever. And I get it medical care. And I'm like, puppy, how great am I that I got you medical care? Yeah. It's the same thing. Thing. If God has control of everything that happens in our life or the ability to control everything that happens in our life, then He either gave that baby that defect or He just allowed it. He
1: allowed it. Right.
0: Either way, it's bad.
1: Right. And why does God get the credit for the miracle? And what happens if that baby died?
0: Oh, then. That baby got its wings and is another angel in heaven.
1: Yeah, she's in heaven and blah, blah. And then, you know, God sent us amazing doctor. No, God didn't send them. You went to a premier university research hospital where thousands of people are employed, where it's their job to save your kid's life. Yeah. That's what their job is. Like God had nothing to do with those people at the hospital. Prayer didn't have anything to do with it either.
0: If anybody can say that God had anything to do with any of these processes, Then I can say that Thor did it. Right. You know, there's just as much evidence for that. You can say that any invisible entity did something that a human actually did. Right. But there's no evidence for it. So how can you claim
1: it? Right. And then, but no one ever thinks about the converse side. Like if the baby died, would God get the blame? No, of course Uh -uh. not. It was all in his plan. And what about the baby in the next room? I haven't seen any updates about this other baby oh yeah like, well that's I like don't what carrie
0: was saying with like the tenants on the other right. side like yeah so i understand why people think this way because it gives them hope and right rain it gives them a sense that they have control in a situation where they're really they are very helpless
1: right and that's like the one of those things is like is it wrong or bad to respond this way in, in crisis i don't think it's it's bad per se but now like on the other side of this to me it just It minimizes and it shortcuts it. Like if it was a tragedy where someone dies, it shortcuts the grief process completely because you can't actually process it. It's a false hope. Like it's just a, it's just a placebo. Yeah. Like it makes you feel better about the situation because we feel helpless in that situation. We can't do anything to affect that outcome. And even the doctors and nurses with all their specialized knowledge and care, sometimes it doesn't go well. Yeah. Sometimes people die even with expert medical care god doesn't get any blame for that they don't say oh well, god fuck that one up oh well <laughs> you know i would we'll love ch- for somebody to say that yeah
0: another thing i just thought of is that in one of their posts they said something like god heard our unified cries mm. and that stuck out to me does god need more than one voice asking for something in order to listen right is one person not enough
1: yeah how many people does it take to get god's attention
0: that's exactly it
1: this is one baby in one emergency room in one hospital in virginia what about the millions of ukrainians right now that are under rubble from being shelled by russian dictatorship
0: and the other thing is why does god need to be asked
1: right (laughs) yeah
0: why does god need to be asked to save the ukrainian babies right why do we need to ask god to save a baby
1: yeah it shouldn't be something you should have to ask for Hopefully you guys enjoyed our season premiere and the new features. We'll be honing them to professional precision over the next-
0: Will we though?
1: 15 episodes, allegedly. But we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. We appreciate you listening. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question. If your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Woohoo!
1: Follow us at the flawedtheologypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might find us. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. So, can we take
0: uh, three seconds so I can
1: put my sweatshirt on? <laughs> sure. It must be cold in the fields where you are. Oh, well, you disappeared. Okay. You didn't hear me, but I said it must be cold in the field where you are. <laughs> and then, when you put the sweatshirt on, you totally disappeared. I disappeared from the and view. I came back, and
0: I have a sweatshirt
1: on. It's like Field of Dreams. If you put the sweatshirt on, she will come. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh. Oof. I'm waiting for Kevin Costner to come out of these reeds. things up here. Hang when on, comes I have to, to
0: grab my laptop charger. I have five minutes left on my battery.
1: Oh. What's really funny is when you went out the door, the background didn't change. Which of course you can't hear me saying.
0: I plugged my laptop into the grass.
1: I know it was funny because when you went out the door or whatever the grass didn't move like you just your arm disappeared into the field and you came out with a charger it's like it's fantastic like yeah it really is magical it really is zoom zoom is magic.